You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 133. Well, hey there, impact driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And in this session, we're talking about the voice of experience, PMO lessons learned in the trenches. PMOs are not a new thing, and for some of our newer PMO leaders, and maybe some that aren't so new, the experience of a more seasoned professional still has a lot of value and can help you navigate the choppy organizational waters you might experience in your organization. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dev Ramcharan, a PMP with over 20 years of PMO leadership experience. And I'm so excited to share stories and lessons learned with all of you in this episode today. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by my free PMO health assessment and planning workshop. In case you haven't heard, I was honored to receive the 2021 Top Global PMO Influencer of the Year Award, the only award of its kind by the PMO Global Alliance. This award tells us that we are absolutely on the right track when it comes to positioning the PMO as the impact engine of the organization. And to celebrate this award, we are hosting our PMO Health Assessment and Planning Workshop for free in January. When you register, you're going to be given access to some pre-workshop materials to start your health assessment, to conduct a SWOT analysis, and help you understand and uncover the whys of your PMO. Then when you come to the workshop in January, we're going to uncover the hidden barriers that are slowing down your PMO progress. We're going to get laser focused on the highest value services that you can implement quickly to build PMO credibility and you're going to learn the most effective influence techniques to gain that leadership support you're going to need when you share the results of this health assessment and the plan you'd like to implement for 2022. Now we're going to do a pre-workshop health assessment. That's right, I'm gonna give you some materials and a video to review in advance. We're gonna build that findings report and create a list of priorities based on what we discover in the assessment process. You're going to create a full year PMO roadmap so that you are showing consistent value delivery, and you're going to create your 2022 PMO presentation that shares your proposal and helps you get stakeholder buy-in that will be critical to your success. So we're covering all of this in that workshop in January. So register now for free. Just go to pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop and you'll get immediate access to those pre-workshop materials to get started. And don't you worry, if you cannot attend live, we will have the recordings of this workshop and all the resources available to you through January 31st, 2022. So register now, and I cannot wait to see you there. Okay, let's do this. I am so excited to welcome Dev to this episode. Dev, thank you so much for being here today. It's a real pleasure, and I couldn't think of another place I'd rather be right now. Great. Oh, this is so great, Dev. Now, you participated in the PMO Impact Summit this year, and you had an awesome session that our audience loved, and I loved. And I said, you know what, Dev, we've really got to get you on the podcast talking about an extremely important topic for PMO leaders, which is, hey, let's not have to learn everything the hard way. Maybe we can actually learn from some that have come before us so that we don't have to make the same mistakes, right? Absolutely, because we've already made the mistakes for you. And as a result, we can save you some of that blood, sweat, and tears. (laughs) Absolutely. So before we dive in, all of you listening, I want to let you know who this guy Dev is. Now, Dev has worked in, built, and managed project management offices for over 20 years in banking, telecommunications, municipal government, and in healthcare. Dev has extensive experience as an organizational development consultant focused on individual and organizational change. Now his services have included emotional intelligence, advancement program development, 
and culture change. Dev is a PMP, a CSM, and a certified pro-sci change management practitioner. Me too. Career transition coach, a corporate trainer, and an emotional intelligence assessor, trainer, and coach. So as you can see, there's nobody better to have a conversation with that actually has been in the trenches building and running PMOs for 20 years, which is awesome. And so we're kindred spirits on that front and also has real hard earned education and experience in helping organizations and individuals figure out how to deliver change more effectively. So with all that said, that's why I've got Dev here. So Dev, are you ready to dive in? I am. Let's go for it. Yay. Okay. All right. So let's start with an easy one. Can you talk about some of the big changes in project management that you've lived through since 1989? (laughs) And I laugh because in 1999 is when I built my first PMO. So I wish, I'm always telling my students, I wish I had me when I was you, right? Like I wish when I was first, like I had somebody that had access to all this information and knowledge and experience when I was learning in the nineties. And so I bet you probably, well, first of all, I wish I had you when I was me back then, (laughs) but also you probably feel the same way that you wish that you had people that had come before you that had been doing this PMO thing and project management that you could have learned from so that you wouldn't have to make so many of the mistakes the hard way. Right. Absolutely. I remember the early days back then when People didn't even know what a project manager was. Right. It was a profession that was in the sciences. It was aeronautical organizations. It was with NASA and primarily engineers. And Mm -hmm. so you couldn't even explain to your mother what you did for a living when she said, well, what do you do? I'm a project manager. They thought in their head building highways and things like that. So that was the early stage that I remember experiencing But as time went by, there was increased professional recognition. The problem was when PMBOK started to grow and grow and grow and grow, it was really still very engineering and technology-based in its focus. And as a result, if you had to sort of work in one of the other industries or a different sector outside of technology or engineering, it really wasn't mature enough for you to be able to get a job as a project manager. As time went by, we went from paper to PCs. And then we had the advent of Microsoft Project, that (laughs) software that only required 25 disks to load into your PC and was buggy, quirky, and fell apart if you tried to change anything. Like, for instance, dependencies. It would blow up your entire schedule. Things have improved a lot since then. We've seen a lot of really nice software products have come out that are alternate too. And Microsoft Project itself has improved a great deal. The internet changed everything for every profession. It sure did for us because suddenly you might have a fully distributed team that you had to manage, Mm -hmm. which got a lot harder. And sometimes it was an international team. So you'd have different languages, different cultures, different norms for business interaction. And Mm -hmm. as a PM, you could only be effective or a project management office leader if you learned these different subtleties. And it took me a while. Then Agile came along, brand spanking baby Agile that was going to transform everything. And it didn't. But it became now a set of approaches, often hybridized, that PMOs could help organizations to think through. And then we went into the transformation of the PMO, where we are now. Mm -hmm. So right now, what I'm living through is this. The PMO is dead. Long live the PMO. And we're trying to recreate ourselves from scratch to figure out, well, what are we? What do we do? What have we as a future? Yeah. So I think that might have only partially answered your question, Laura, but it gives you a sense of the kind of thing I've been through over the years. Yes. It all sounds very familiar. I was there too. I saw that movie. I lived that movie. Right. And so my experiences were very similar. Back when I was building my first PMO, I didn't know it was called a PMO. I did know that there was these things called project managers and that we had these things called projects. And I was tasked 
without having a ton of experience to be the one to put together the whole portfolio. I mean, essentially what I did was I built portfolio management. I put project management process in place. I provided guidance, resources, support for the project managers. I had governance and oversight. I mean, it was all the things, but what it was, was me putting common sense into common practice. And it was really about what do the business leaders need? What are the business problems they need solved? What do the project managers need? How are we going to solve those problems? What do our customers need? How are we going to address those problems? And then figuring out a way to do that, that didn't slow things down or make things more complicated, right? And then fast forward, when you were talking about agile, I've always been totally on board. And part of that is because it was just putting common sense into common practice, right? If people actually take time to read the Agile Manifesto, it's really very much in line with, frankly, how I've always been running projects, how I've always taught people to run projects, which is customer engagement. And I'm very well known for saying outcomes over outputs, right? That's essentially what it's all about is how do we make sure we're delivering business value, engage with our users early, get feedback regularly, pivot, shift when necessary, and get laser focused on achieving the end results and not getting so stuck on, well, we've got to finish one thing before we can ever start, finish all the things in one category before we can move on to the next, right? So I think a lot of this is really the theme for me, Dev, over the last 24 years in this space has been, let's figure out how to be practical and use common sense and get very focused on making sure that we're achieving the results, the outcomes that our business leaders are looking for. But not everybody has kind of seen it that way. And so some of it's been a little stormy as a result of that. And so I'd love to know in that process, especially since you probably didn't have tons of training and resources and a bunch of people telling you this is a PMO and this is what it should and shouldn't do, especially in those early years, you probably had to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And so I'd love to dive into some of your lessons learned, and I'm happy to share some of mine as well, because I've got the battle scars to prove (laughs) that I built and ran PMOs for 15 years before starting my company in 2013, because that's a lot of it was trial and error, learning things the hard way, or frankly, not listening to some of the advice I was being given by the experts. So tell me, bring it on. Give me some of your lessons learned. You remind me when you say those things about those manatees that you see in the Florida Everglades, and they all have scars from cuts and grazes, Mm -hmm. bites and so on. They are still moving, but Mm -hmm. you can see where they've been. And maybe an alligator or two. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the things that I've learned through the years, and it, it took a while, is First of all, as a PMO leader, you need to understand why you're there. Mm -hmm. Why has the business brought you in? What is the problem they're actually trying to solve? And in actual fact, what's their appetite for change and for structure? For how much structure? In the early days, we would come into the role as we picked up speed and knowledge and think, okay, you're going to put in this methodology and this structure and these artifacts and the artifacts are going to look like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And we thought, build the process and the people will come. Put in the methodology and the people will use it. Only to find as time went by, no, that's not how it actually works. A second thing I learned is understand how far you can push and how much you can actually Mm. change in the organization that you're in and set your expectations accordingly. Because the early stage of my career as a PMO leader was filled with frustration since I couldn't change the organization enough to truly benefit from what was being done by the PMO. Right. Another thing is to focus on providing services to the clients as opposed to pushing compliance regulations at them. And it's how I learned to view the business. When I started off as a PMO leader, I saw the people using the PMO's services as potential criminals. Everyone of whom might need a ticket at some point in time or who might actually have to do some jail time. So (laughs) what was I at that time? Well, I wasn't really a service provider, was I? Yeah. More about making sure they adhere to the law. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you say it that way because my dear friend, Lee Lambert, I'm going to give him a shout out here because... He used to talk about, is your PMO actually the Gestapo (laughs) and the problem with that? And that's exactly what it looks like you were experiencing. And because somebody told you that's what you're supposed to do, right? 
<laughs> well, we did that as a reaction, Laura, because yeah. nobody took project management seriously. They would say, right. like, my engineers do that. Why do I need a project manager? Then right. the PMO comes along and people are asking the question, well, why do you guys even exist? What are you there for? So to offset that, sometimes we went too hard, we yeah. went too firm, and we went too inflexible with our modeling and the execution of that modeling just to be taken seriously, yeah. right? As a contributor to the business and what it did. Another thing that I learned through the years, a hard lesson is to have an adaptable, self-renewing model. Remember, today's model was built for today, mm -hmm. but it might need to flex and change based on tomorrow's business circumstances or changing realities in the environment. Also, rather than rolling a set of expectations for what project managers should be doing, Instead, try to lighten the administrative load on PMs as mm. much as possible. Now, in our hearts as project management office leaders in years past, we thought if you have the right system, project management will improve. Mm. And we bet on systems changing and improving project management outcomes and results. But that didn't happen. So right. what we've come to learn now is a system will not fix the problems some kind of a program to improve the competencies of project managers is what will improve things. And so that's around training. It's around developing an unofficial and then official community of practice where PMs are able to share techniques with each other. What are the hacks they're using? How do they get through difficult projects that might align with somebody's brand new difficult project? So those are just some of the things over the years that I've learned, but the biggest thing of all is this, be flexible, mm -hmm. set your expectations differently from period to period and assess, are we still giving the value we need to give today compared to two months ago or a year ago? Oh my gosh, Dev, this, okay, first of all, that was like 10 different huge lessons learned and value bombs thrown in there. They were like, no big deal. So I want to unpack a few of those because that was really, really good. And interestingly, and we did not talk about this in advance, I had the very same lessons learned over the years. And I seriously, like the same things as you were talking, I'm saying, yep, I can remember when I learned that lesson the hard way. Yep. I remember when I learned that lesson the hard way. And it's interesting because what I'm seeing here is that those of us that have done this the hard way, and it's not that we didn't get any advice, but frankly, I want to touch on that a little bit because some of that about what you were saying early on about feeling like this is what you're supposed to do and you're kind of forcing it on everyone, et cetera, or that kind of in guidance we got early from experts saying, you know, what's best for them, go give them the medicine they need to take, whether they realize it or not, or go shove a bunch of templates, tools, and process at people, or you have to make them follow it or things like you have to sell the PMO. And all of that was nonsense, Dev. All of it was nonsense. And early, like in the nineties, right. And early two thousands, I didn't know, like first, I didn't even know it was called a PMO, this thing I was building. Right. And then I learned that that's what it was. And then I was like, okay, well, I better educate myself on this. So I would take classes and read books. And back then, 20 years ago, those books were filled with a lot of shoulds that has a shoving a lot of stuff at people, right? A lot of you should do this and you should do that. And everybody should do this. And if they're not doing that, your PMO is terrible and all your people are terrible. I mean, it was ridiculous, right? So that's how we were trained, raised back in the beginning with our PMOs. And so before I knew any of that, I just did what made sense and what my business leaders needed, right? What they asked for, I answered the mail, I answered what they asked for. And then as I was learning more about what I was supposed to be doing, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I should do this. And if I want to be good at it, this is how I should do it. And my business leader started saying, what in the world are you doing? Right? Like, what are you doing here? This is not what we want to be doing. And this is not providing value. And this is not providing the right support that we need and stop shoving a bunch of templates at me. Right? Because Deb, I mean, I'm not sure about you, but I have never heard an executive say, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Can you come back when you've got five more templates for me to fill out? Right. They're just not going to say that they're not like they want their stuff done and they want it yesterday. Right. They're not like, wait, hold on. Can you like make this process more complicated and add more steps before you do anything of value? 
right? So that's the world that we like, we're told by the quote unquote experts that should be in place, right? And the things we should be doing. And I think it's really important that you're saying that it wasn't really about that. It was much more about being fluid and being adaptive and responding to business needs and solving the business problems of the moment. And I think there were so many good lessons in there. And then also another thing that you mentioned, which I break down to simply doing change with people instead of to them, right? That's what I heard a lot of and what you were talking about. Know your customer, know what they need. And your customer is not just the external clients that your organization serves. Your customers, those business leaders, those stakeholders, those project managers, don't forget about them. They're your customer too. They're not the people you're trying to put in jail. You know, <laughs> They're not the people that you're trying to beat over the head to make follow your stuff. They're the ones that should be saying, hey, you know what would make my life easier, right? <laughs> I mean, and then go do that. So I think you just threw a, such a huge number of like value bombs is what I call them. And in what you shared there, like, and the funny thing is Dev is for you and I, it's like, well, of course, got it. That's absolutely what you should be doing. You're just like rattling off all these things that like literally took you years of blood, sweat, and tears to learn. And that's what we're trying to save those in our audience from experiencing, right? Is this intense, learning process, take 20 years of Deb's experience, cram that into a podcast episode and say, look, okay, please don't make these mistakes. Right. So I know it's a lot. And that's why I'm trying to unpack some of these things a little bit and help people think differently. And I hope that some of you listening are actually not new PMO leaders, but are nodding your head at some of this. And then also having some light bulbs go off. So this isn't just for new PMO leaders. There's a lot in here that even people that have been doing it a long time that might feel like they're beating their head up against the wall a little bit might get some good value from hearing some of these as well and understand, oh, that's why my business leaders are frustrated because I am doing too much. I resemble these remarks, <laughs> the things we shouldn't be doing, right, Deb? Indeed. One of the big dangers, or I saw over the years, and myself and in others, is the bigger and more complex the organization is or becomes, right. the more calcified and inflexible the models we build tend to become. Part of that is because it's so difficult to get anything up and running in those environments. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is we want to build something sustainable and long-term. So we imagine that that is this thing with a static structure, with Mm -hmm. static methodologies and approaches and static templates. Right. In fact, we have got to be much more living, adaptable, and dynamic than that. So true. And I really like that. I've never quite thought about it that way. So I think that's a really important visual for people is that, and when you're thinking about your PMO, it is a living, breathing organism that must evolve over time, not a set of deliverables or templates or steps in a process that is so rigid in structure. That's beautiful because that really fits so naturally into something that we all experienced over the last couple of years with the global COVID-19 pandemic, for example. I mean, if those PMOs that were really focused on what I call continuous improvement versus continual evolution, right? The ones that were focused on, got to add more steps to my process, got to add more templates, got to add more stuff. I'm counting my value by the number of projects we manage versus the value we're achieving, right? Those that were really stuck in that mindset really struggled when the pandemic happened because they were like, well, how do I keep creating templates in this process? And I was like holding all these live Q&A sessions with PMO leaders to answer those questions. And the simple answer was you don't. You have to like what you were saying, you have to pivot and shift and be nimble and flexible. And as the business needs change, the PMO needs to evolve with that, right? And I think that's hard for some people to do, Dev, because they built it as a static thing, this monument to project management, as opposed to a living, breathing service providing organism, or what I call an impact engine that has the ability to evolve, to meet those changing needs. Is that how you see it? Absolutely. This brings to mind thought around how people factor down into two major groups. Now there's all kinds of ways of assessing and defining our different personalities and what we're like. But to me, there's a very simple breakdown of people into the ought to be people and the as it is people. Ooh, okay. Tell me more. Ought to be people are all about 
building a process, putting in a structure, building a methodology that is what the organization ought to have or what ought to be. And it can become very frustrating to them when the organization doesn't comply, doesn't pay attention to, bypasses, avoids, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the ought to be mindset. You build the thing and the people should and ought to use it. Ah. Then there is the as it is people. That is, people aren't going to use my processes. They're not going to look at templates. They're going to try and bypass in every way they can. Let me use the development of relationships and partnerships to persuade them into using something sometimes whenever they feel they're willing to. Now, what we need as PMO leaders is a good mix of those two things that mm. varies depending on the changing business circumstances, where in some instances, we're a little bit more tilted to the ought to be, but as the business changes, we tilt back to the as it is. And where this hits you hard right in the sternum is when you acquire a brand new company. Yeah. And you come like this big robotic figure, one of the Japanese sort of <laughs> robot thingies, and there's the PMO coming at the new acquired company. <laughs> Scaring the heck out of them. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, an image to keep in mind. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, and here's the thing, is that all of you impact drivers listening and the impact driver wannabes or ought to be's or should be's or gonna be's, as you're thinking about the reaction people have when you're coming their way, if they look at you scared to death, run in the other direction or in this virtual world, just avoid coming to your meetings or engaging with you at all, then you might be the big scary robot <laughs> that scaring the heck out of them and making them feel like they just can't either live up to the standards, they don't understand the value proposition, they don't understand why it's important. And I want to go back to one very simple word that you said at the very beginning, Dev, which was why. Understanding why the PMO is there. And it's funny because I've had so many students, well, before they become students of mine, reach out to me and say, well, where's the guidance on exactly what the PMO should be? And I try to explain to them, that's what my whole program helps you figure out because there is no one size fits all. There is no one way the PMO ought to be or should be. And if we believe that there is, then we're doing it wrong because it's to solve the business problems that that organization has. And that can be as varied as the different types of organizations we have and the different people in them, right? It's based on the needs in the moment of that organization. And I think that's the key to understanding is that there is no one size fits all PMO. And if people, that's why I hate like the types, Dev. Like we had, we had a whole conversation before we even started this podcast about Myers-Briggs types and how I love that stuff. But when it comes to PMOs, I feel like we are selling ourselves short if we try and shove our PMO services and capabilities into a particular type, because you need to be a chameleon and be the type of PMO that the business needs, which could be different from one year to the next. And understanding that is the key to your success as a PMO leader. Absolutely. Which is why it's so important for, for young PMO leaders to get their heads around understanding the organizational culture. Right. Now, remember, it's a complex beast because the overall culture of a business or an organization might be X, but individual departments will have their own subcultures mm -hmm. that are different to the mm -hmm. overall. So you mm -hmm. might have a very hierarchical, top-down management style of government agency or bank or large right. engineering company or pharmaceuticals company, but you might have an incredible adhocracy somewhere mm -hmm. in that organization mm -hmm. and how you engage with these different cultures is going to differ right from place to place as a pmo leader so just a thing to keep in mind for sure 100 now you mentioned those newer pmo leaders i want to get very practical and give them like a list right because i know that they're very practical and they're like oh my gosh you gave me so many things but where do i get started so for our newer pmo leaders or even ones that are looking to just up level their game what are like, let's just like, can we come up with five of your best pieces of advice that you would give them as starting out, starting again, refreshing, wanting to up level? What are those top five pieces of advice you'd share? Good question. Good question. Tough one too, because there must be about 15, 20 things I'd like to say, but five is I think memorable and important. One, get super clear on your mandate. Yes, yes. If you're not clear in your mandate, you are in for 
hell in a handbasket. <laughs> That's putting it nicely. <laughs> exactly. And let me tell you, the biggest nightmare I can imagine is trying to build a PMO in a startup company. Right. It's just not a good mixture. They're not right. ready for a PMO. So get clear on your mandate. That's yeah. lesson one. Now, I want to make a comment there because I have helped set up what I refer to as a PMO in organizations of all shapes and sizes at various levels of maturity and growth, et cetera. I believe there is a role for a very different type of a PMO in a startup because I think what they struggle the most with tends to be lack of organization, structure, and focus, right? We had a whole conversation about focus before we started this episode too. And I think there's a role. It's just not this big, complicated set of services and capabilities. But what would be super helpful is somebody that could put a portfolio management structure in place. And I'm not talking tools and intensity. I've gone and helped small organizations literally start with a whiteboard and a marker and say, what are your priorities? What are the projects you're working on? Let's put some prioritization around them. Let's create some focus. Let's figure out who's doing what. And let's tell you how they're doing on a regular basis. That alone can help a startup become a highly focused impact engine, if you will, very quickly. So I would say our traditional thinking of a PMO absolutely does not fit in a startup. However, there is a role specifically for certain functions. And one of the ones that business leaders struggle the most with is oversight and insight and focus, right? So if you could create something like that, that's light and easy and may not even be a full-time job for one person, but that is an incredible way to start early with an organization and provide value quickly, give them exactly what they need to get from startup to the next level of maturity. So just a thought there. What an amazing challenge to the comment I just made. And I think you're absolutely right. So what you're doing is you're putting in the essence of PMO functionality without building something big and unwieldy. Right. Won't work. Love it. Absolutely right. agree. Right. right. So that's one of the first things. Get clear. Mandate. Mandate. Yes, absolutely. Mandate. The second thing that I would counsel is find out who your stakeholders are, meet them, get their expectations, and ask them to tell you about their experience with project managers and with yes. the people. Yes. Because that will give you a sense of what you're up against coming into this role. Yes. And that could be really important, especially if like you're replacing someone or they're like, oh my gosh, the PMO has never been successful here, or I'm just going to wait you out until you get fired too. Like, I mean, there's so many of those things going on. That's <laughs> true. Oh my gosh. So if you can, <laughs> if you can like figure out like what's going on and what they really think. And Deb, when we were talking before we started all this, oh, I love talking to you. We were talking about Myers-Briggs types and all that. And I was talking about how I teach my PMO students and all of my impact drivers, the three categories of people, the lovers, the haters, and the just don't cares. And a lot of people don't focus enough on supporting the people that are behind you, the lovers, right? They don't spend enough time feeding that monster because those become incredible advocates for you. People tend to focus on the ones that are non-compliant, the haters, right? And instead of embracing them and welcoming them into the fold, they like fight them. Right. And I say, give them a whiteboard marker, put them in front of the whiteboard virtually or in person, have them tell you everything that's wrong with what you're trying to do, because you know what they're doing for you. They're building your risk register. They're telling you everything that you need to be looking out for. And then you fix some of the things the way they say you should fix it or change it or whatever. They become your lovers because they own the process. Right. The scary ones though, Deb, are the just don't cares because they're the ones waiting for the PMO to die and go away. They're the ones that are like, we don't need you. I don't know what you're doing over there, but that doesn't interest us. We're not about all that. Or even worse, we're agile. We don't do any of that documentation stuff, right? (laughs) You never needed it before. Right, right. exactly. So I think you have a really interesting point here about understanding who your stakeholders are and, you know, making sure that you hear them, right? That's module two in my impact engine PMO training and implementation program. The whole first module is all this stuff about shifting your mindset that you're talking about. The second module is all about this assessment process and understanding your stakeholders and what you should be doing, right? The mandate and all that. I'm totally digging this, Dev. It's like, this is spot on with what I've been teaching for so many years now. So keep going. Come on. There's so much goodness here. I love it. And one of the big things just to add to the wonderful stuff Laura just said is young PMO leaders, try not to take things personally. Mm-hmm. Remember the criticism or the pushback or the sharp teeth that you're seeing are based on a couple of things. One, 
Your stakeholders don't want to be controlled too. Maybe things are a little bit rickety in their organizations and they don't want to disclose that stuff in reporting. Yeah. Or three, they really feel that project management bogs them down. Right. It doesn't get them to the finish line right. uh, quickly enough or efficiently enough. Right. So just remember where that criticism is coming from and try to do what you can to address those concerns. Right. So three, Number understand three. the challenges that the business overall is facing yes how you can help because you might be emphasizing the wrong things for this mm -hmm. business in this moment in time it might be fighting a battle for survival and sustainability mm -hmm. well you have to flex to help them with that as opposed to the model which is the model that is the model that people put in place <laughs> That's all they know how to do. Yeah. All they know how to do, right? Right. So what Laura and I are both really advocating for you as young leaders is have an intelligent assessment of what's going on mm -hmm. and vary what you do to help the organization in its current state. So good. So good. And I think that's a really big one because we saw that play out. Like I talked to you already about how the PMO leaders that were struggling during the global pandemic and the other side of that is the PMO leaders that were thriving. And for example, like my students, my students that go through my impact engine PMO training and implementation program, plus like coaching, I was hearing good, like high impact win after win after win in that program, because they knew that they needed to pivot and shift and do things differently in order to respond to the business needs. And so for example, one of my students who's been on one of our podcast episodes, number 51, episode number 51, it's called a PMO pivot story evolving during COVID-19 with Andrea Sorelli, one of my students. I just love her dearly. And she came on and talked about how she is the PMO leader for one of the largest community health centers in the country, in the U.S. And of course, during the pandemic, there was a lot of pivoting and changing that happened. And so when we recorded that podcast, what she had been talking about was her team was asked to set up a COVID testing center in three days. Now, normally with their normal process and the things they would have gone through, that would have been something that would have normally taken three months. And it's not that the PMO process, but just all the moving parts of getting something like that to happen, a testing center and outside and the facilities and all the things, they got it done in three days. And what she'll tell you, and so definitely go listen to that episode, episode number 51 in the podcast, or go to pmostrategies.com forward slash 051. What she'll tell you is that they didn't say, wait, hold on, let me pull out my big, heavy process and all these things that we have to do, which by the way, she's a impact engine PMO leader. So they don't have tons of big, heavy process, but they had steps that they would normally go through for a project and they didn't do those. And they did only what made sense and they got the right people involved and they were incredibly focused and they pivoted what they would normally do to respond to the business need. And that's exactly what you're talking about here, Dev. You're saying, you know what? We can't just keep saying, hold on, we got to keep doing everything we've always been doing. We have to shift and pivot as the business needs change. And so they did it. They were successful, huge kudos. And the C-suite executives were calling on the PMO leader because that PMO leader had a seat at the table and was trying to make sure that she kept it by being nimble and flexible and adapting when the needs of the organization changed. And then they had, and later we'd talked about this after episode 51, then they had a different challenge. Now they had to figure out how, okay, how do we keep people out of the hospital, right? Like how do we serve them remotely and do other things so that we can keep everyone out of the hospital so that the beds we have are saved for those that really are in critical condition. And then post like the first year of the pandemic, then it was like, okay, now how do we still continue to serve our patients and how do we get them back into the hospital when it makes sense, right? Like how do we keep all the engines running? But it was constantly different business challenges and the PMO was at the table to help try and solve those challenges because they were seen as a strategic business partner to the organization because they were very clear on understanding the business challenges in the moment and helping to solve for those. So I just think, Dev, that this is, I mean, all of these are fantastic and they play out in the real world. The reason you have these bits of advice, these brilliant bits of advice is because this is what the real world is like for all of us as PMO leaders. So I just thought I'd share that story as an example of exclamation point on what Dev just said. 
<laughs> Beautiful story. So look, the next thing I'll say is this. Sure. Especially if you're backfilling for a previous leader that you are now taking over from or that person has left or been terminated. Right. Look for possibilities to apply lean process thinking to the processes, yes. to the systems, to the tools, to the documentation so that you get it down. Not right. to a stupid level, but to a level that is all that is actually necessary. Right. They will thank you. And that alone will build a huge amount of credibility for you as a leader with the organization because you're truly trying to make their life easier. And the very last piece of advice is this. Get executive support for reporting with integrity. Because if you mm. have all your beautiful people, processes, all the structure, but the reporting is crap, right. then everything you do will be seen in that same light likewise too. Those are the five main points that I would make for young leaders of project management offices. Oh my gosh, this is so, 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 so good. Okay, so for all of those that were walking, exercising, driving, and couldn't write that down. I'm going to repeat them one more time for you, just so that you have them all right in front of you, because these are good. You need to remember these and you need to go write them down somewhere. It's making sure that you're clear on your mandate, really understanding the needs of your stakeholders and who they are, by the way, understanding those business challenges and being super clear on that. And then of course, pivoting as needed to address that streamlining and optimizing, leaning out your process so that you can be more productive. And I like to say high impact because you're focused on doing only what is needed to drive to the results. And then I love this last one. And this is one that I don't think we talk about enough, which is getting executive support for honesty, telling the truth about where you really are and what's really going on, because all the beautiful process in the world is going to be meaningless if you're not allowed to report the truth of where things are and your executives will be hamstrung and being able to actually help you solve the business problems that you present to them if they won't have the information to make educated and informed decisions if you're hiding the truth. So I think that's fantastic. Dev, wow, this is awesome. So, so good. So good. Thank you so much. If you are applying for a job as a PMO leader at an organization, do what you can, because you can find these things out by talking to people you know or employees that are there. Find out if yellow and red or amber and red are cardinal sins for this company mm, on a mm, project. Right. Because if that's the case, this is my advice. Do not go there. Don't right. Go there. The only way you'll be in a position to do anything is going to be putting yourself in a position where you're actually going to be the fall guy or gal, because they're actually looking for someone to blame as opposed to looking for someone to help them tell them how to move forward. So good. So speaking of the interview process and putting your best foot forward and thinking about how you present yourself as a PMO leader, can you talk a little bit about your brand as a PMO leader and how that might have evolved over the years. And let's see if we can help share a little bit of lesson learned on that front for our PMO leaders as well. So I started off as uh, not too clear what to be doing and how to be doing things. And then in the earlier phase, I became a compliance police chief. Mm. So basically out there keeping an eye on people who mm -hmm. are likely to do the wrong thing and who chances are bypassing and not compliant with the process. Right. So it was the continual hunt for Red October. And I realized mm. as the years went by, this is killing me. And I hate being the most hated guy when yeah. people see me in their doorway or get an email from me. And even worse, being feared because of the fact that people thought that I would call them out into the bright sunlight and throw them under a bus. Yeah. So what I have gone to great lengths to try to become now is not a compliance police chief. Compliance is a still a part. Compliance management is still something PMOs should be doing. But now mm -hmm. I'm a partner to the business, a partner trying to support them. Does that mean there'll be less bypass and less compliance gaps? No. In fact, you might see an increase in that because they may perceive you as not strong enough to hold them to account. But as time goes by, you build a much more sustainable relationship and you actually have better results with them over time. So that's been a major shift from compliance police 
to partner to the organization. The other thing that has really transformed how I do things from a brand perspective is this. I've realized the importance of emotional effectiveness. Now, mm. 20 years ago, if you had raised that, I would have burst out laughing and just basically walked away. Emotional? Like, what are you, nuts or something? What does that have to do with anything? That's just stupid. Or, is, right. You know, can you not realize that? <laughs> this but, is work. There's no emotion involved. On, right? <laughs> and those are the bad old edgy days of telecom. I don't know if you remember that period. Yeah. They were the wild, wicked West. Yeah. So, well, that's that's yeah. how I felt, by the way, during the dot-com insanity when the internet yes. was like, that was my first PMO was doing, building e-commerce when that was bleeding edge, <laughs> e-commerce solutions for brick and mortar stores. We had no idea what we were doing, but man, we were going to figure it out. So I remember that some insane, <laughs> intense days. So in the middle of trying to figure out just what even this PMO and project management thing I was doing, I was also like in an organization where, which Part of it was kind of cool, right? We had a CEO that was 27. We were like, lunch was brought in every day. We had a pool table, foosball. We had like happy hours every Friday that the company paid for. I mean, this was like, we were serious. We all had expense cards and we could just go nuts. So there was some fun, right? We definitely had a lot of fun, but it was crazy time. And so, yeah, that's talk about drinking from a fire hose, right? The, the CEO would get out there on stage in front of a massive audience and he would say things like, well, as I'm going to say, oh, you know, we have all this because it's yeah. quite broken yet. Yes, exactly. And then they go out to you and make a hundred gazillion dollars. Exactly. <laughs> it was crazy times, crazy times. But anyway, yeah. So telecom was a totally different kind of crazy. Y2K, another crazy, crazy. There's been lots of yes. interesting times in our history where PMOs and project managers have had to figure out how to adapt to thrive. But understanding the emotional impacts, work of decision-making, and what emotions actually have an effect on. Well, it, they affect our communications. Yeah. They affect the ability of teams to deliver. A demoralized team that is emotionally low is not going to deliver. Right. They right. also affect how, your retention of mm -hmm. team members and staff members. So emotional intelligence, which is so commonly available in the way of training and blogs and information out there, getting to grips with that and especially with empathy. Mm -hmm. I cannot empathize with a yelling marketing director who does not want any involvement with my team, right. then how am I going to broker and be able to get something working with him? Right. So Laura, I know this is at the end of the podcast, and I'm so glad I had the chance to talk to you and share some of these ideas with you and to hear your ideas. Oh, Dev, this has just been so much fun. And we certainly could do tons more of this. And we'll have to figure out a way how, because I think there are so many good lessons learned here that, oh my gosh, each one of these could be an episode. In fact, I have a lot of these in the form of episodes in the earlier podcast. So for all of you that are picking up this as one of your early podcasts, I think this is great. Go back and listen to the beginning. Go back to the beginning and start there. The first couple dozen podcast episodes really lay the groundwork for the kinds of things that Dev is talking about here and summarizing so beautifully. But you might be saying, okay, yeah, but now what? Oh my gosh, that was a lot. I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. How do I know how to apply all these things. And I think part of it, there's a lot of good stuff in the podcast. And then I have tons of resources. Dev, do you want to let people know a little bit about how they can find you if they've got more questions or want to learn more about all this great sage wisdom that you have to share? Absolutely. Just two things. So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. And also you can connect with me at my email address, which is real easy. It's devram, D-E-V-R-A-M, at rogers.com. Any advice, any help, it's all free. It's all done in my own time. And it's just to basically strengthen our overall community. So reach out to me and I'll share my ideas. I'm not some wise man on a mountain. So I'll be able to have <laughs> some degree, but have as many advisors as you can and counselors yes. with experience. So true. Yes. I have a wealth of advisors around me. <laughs> trying to help me figure out how to make a bigger impact with the work that we do. And Dev, I consider you one of them because I love just hearing your insights and your ideas and helping me think through some things in my own business. So I'm really grateful for all of that. All right, impact drivers. Now, I hope that you are going to take some of what you learned today and figure out how you can go do something with it. You know, 
that the knowledge itself is not power. It is the application of that knowledge in your real world environment, solving real business problems that is where you will actually see the impact. So make sure you take one of those ideas, one or two of them or all of them, if you're like me and you just want to like eat it all up, go take all of those ideas and figure out how you can go put them into action in your organization. Before we go, as I mentioned, we do have a free, 100% free, PMO health assessment and planning workshop coming up in January. So if you are listening to this episode when it goes live or early in January, or actually anytime in January, definitely go to pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop and sign up now for my free PMO health assessment and planning workshop. Now I'm doing this workshop for free in celebration of winning the 2021 top Global PMO Influencer of the Year that was awarded by the PMO Global Alliance. It's the only award of its kind, and I am so honored to be able to carry this title for the next year. So I wanted to do something to celebrate because what this award tells me is that we are on the right track. All this work we've been doing over the years to help organizations understand that the PMO should be that integral engine that drives impact in the organization. And we're just getting started, baby. So because of this wonderful opportunity that PMO Global Awards and the PMO Global Alliance shared with us, we are taking full advantage of making sure that everybody in the world that needs access to important resources like this PMO Health Assessment and Planning Workshop can get to it. So register now for free by going to pmostrategies.com forward slash workshop and you will get instant access to some resources to help you prepare for this workshop when we do it live in January, on January 11th and 13th. And as always, don't worry if you have to miss one of the episodes or if it doesn't quite work with your time zone because you'll be able to access the recordings through the entire month of January. So there's no reason not to sign up. You'll get your pre-work to do right now And then you can join me live on January 11th and 13th. I cannot wait to see you there. Okay, Impact Drivers, that's it for this session today. Dev, thank you again so much for being here and sharing all of your sage wisdom and guidance from over 20 years of PMO experience. It was such a pleasure and I would do it at the drop of a hat again. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to take you up on that. (laughs) All right, Impact Drivers, that's it for today. Please reach out to Dev, reach out to me, find us on LinkedIn, find us in all the places, find us in the Impact Driver Network mobile app, and come talk to us about how you're doing on building these capabilities and strengths and making sure your PMO is as high impact as possible. Bye-bye for now. 